Take it away, Derek. What's your question? Why do you guys talk about comics so much? Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? 18 years. <laughs> Toothbrush is still fresh. Did they have sex? Because, I mean, she Hulk, you know. Damn it, Tony. We went an entire episode without mentioning Maggot, and then you ruined it. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Batman's got his little fishbowl on his head, but <laughs> Superman doesn't. Cyclops was right. Except when he was wrong. Master Bruce, you are calm. I'm going to silently judge all of you. Shut up, beast. <laughs> Shut up. Like I've read it so many times, you know, it pretty much just crumbled in my hands. Come on, old chum. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read him? See, I didn't hate Hellcat until you made me read this miniseries. It was just a joke, but you made it real, Justin. No. You made it real. I, I prefer my Dazzler singing, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival songs at Australian bars. Titty discs. And... <laughs> That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm going to go <laughs> into the Marvel Wikipedia and edit Whatever it is. doesn't get better than that. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey guys, welcome back to another beeperific, Talosian-tastic episode of Fanholes Comics, motherfucker! Do you read them? Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight, but I am not alone. I am joined by two, count them, two of my fellow fan holes. Why don't you guys give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight? Hey, this is Justin, but there's no one else. It's just me, Derek, remember? There, there's just Justin, but you, you know what? Two. Mike Mike, Mike is here. It's just that uh, he, he, he was uh, horribly scarred and wounded helping out fanhole cadets, so <laughs> he, can only, he can only talk in uh, beeps. Isn't that right, Michael? See? He just beeped at me, and, 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 and so he, he's with us here in spirit. So he's, he's rolling around on his little go-kart, and he's, he's beeping yeses and noes. All right, yeah, so, so anyway, in case you haven't figured it out, me and Justin are here, and we're going to be talking about some Star Trek comics. Uh, Mike wanted to be here, but uh, he, he got tired and uh, decided to go to bed. So, um, yeah. So, he used to follow his power. He used up all his power. He said goodbye. So anyway, so I'm I'm talking about a Star Trek comic, and Mike's talking about a Star Trek comic. They're both from DC. Uh, I've got one from Volume One. He's got one from Volume Two. I'm I'm also pulling a Tony as well. I'm I'm giving us part three of an eight part epic story arc. So uh, apologies in advance, but uh, this was officially a a spinner rack comic. It's on my spinner rack. It is Star Trek issue number 11 from DC Comics. The cover date was February 1985, and the on-sale date was November 8th, 1984. The cover price was a whopping 75 cents, 32 pages. The writer was Mike W. Barr. The penciler was Thomas Sutton, inker Ricardo Villagran, letterer John Costanza, colorist michelle wolfman and editor marv wolfman i was wondering if they were like related or husband and wife at some point but i didn't bother to research that and i don't know so the story title is called deadly reflection and this is kind of i mean we technically talked about the first part of this i mean actually we we did talk about the first part of this which was mm -hmm. star trek volume one issue number nine and you know the, the whole arc i guess is titled new frontiers and that was was in episode 51 of comic 
books, motherfucker, do you read them? So if you're curious about part one, we talk about it, I think, with Gene Hendricks on that show. And, you know, just to give you a, a quick lead up, if you if you followed us on issue number nine and then issue 10 actually sees the mirror Captain Kirk board the Excelsior and he does this Kirk kind of thing where he uses the bird of prey that is being towed by the Excelsior. He remote controls in on their weapon systems and that allows the, the mirror enterprise crew to board and take over the Excelsior. And that is how we open up on issue number 11. And hopefully this is another Justin synopsis. The mirror Spock takes the bird of prey to Vulcan to study his primary universe counterpart, while on the Excelsior, the rest of the primary universe crew managed to trick their mirror counterparts to gain control of the ISS Enterprise. On Vulcan, Mirror Spock finds Spock Prime still recovering and mind melds with him. The Excelsior pursues the ISS Enterprise, and after a brief battle, the Mirror Captain Kirk starts the auto-destruct sequence aboard the ISS Enterprise. The Prime Admiral Kirk... Admiral. 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 Is left unable to terminate the countdown. And that's basically, you know, to be continued, dun dun dun. Um, if anybody's super curious, like I said, the next six issues continue the story. It follows Admiral. Admiral Kirk and his colleagues as they work to stop the Mirror Universe counterparts and Spock actually uh, his contact with his mirror self actually leads to a full mental recovery freaking out everybody but you know they, they didn't know what was going to happen in Star Trek 4 so they're just kind of flying by the seat of their pants and don't worry they all put it back in the box by the time Star Trek 4 comes out so it's totally cool but yeah this this was my issue the the reason why I count it as a a official spinner rack issue by transitive properties of Derek's rules. Um, this was part of a, a giant trade kind of thing. I remember being in the Union City Library and you know, I gave a bunch of comics to one of my buddies and my buddy gave me a bunch of comics and one of those comics was Star Trek issue number 11. I thought it had a really cool cover. I mean, like, that that was one of those things that fascinated me because, you know, you... And, and I think this is why this arc was collected as a trade paperback because it's probably one of the most, I'd say, well-known, you know, Mirror Mirror is one of the more well-known Star Trek stories from the original television series. And I think, I mean, you know, there, there might've been novels that did this before, but, but I feel like in the comics, this is the first time they really tried to revisit that universe. And, and, and this, definitely has that that aliens approach to it where they tried to take the sequel and amp it to 11 you know it's not just kirk beaming over to the mirror ship and being in disguise and figuring out how shit works and all that stuff this is a full out i mean you know the the full story arc it's a full out invasion you know there's there's all kinds of you know craziness with with uh, you know, Mirror Spock and Prime Spock, they when when Kirk and and the Excelsior jump over to the Mirror Universe, they pose as the Mirror Crew, like the entire crew and ship pose as the Mirror Crew, as opposed to just Kirk. And they find a a living David, you know, who's part of the Resistance on the Mirror side. So like, there was all kinds of fun stuff that they played with in in that storyline. So I imagine that's why it got collected as a trade paperback. 
I'm not going to say it's like one of my, uh, you know, I, I will say it's not necessarily one of my favorite mirror stories. I mean, I understand why it was like new and cool and awesome at the time. Um, there's, there's some things about it where I look at it now with, I guess, vantage point of being an adult and I chuckle at certain things that happen in it. But I mean, it's fun. It was fun to revisit. It's, it's a beloved spinner rack comic. I, I specifically like this one, you know, for the cover and the fact that it was part of that a uh, lot of comics that that got bequeathed me in in kind of a trade you know so i kind of consider that it, it qualifies for me as a spinner rack comic um i know you know obviously we talked about issue nine together before so i i mean obviously i imagine you've read this before was there was this a back issue for you is this something that you also read off of spinner rack like how did you come to this and did you did you get to like because this was the first I guess for me, what's interesting is even though this was part of an eight-part epic story arc, this was the first part of it I ever read, technically. So, you know, I had to come to the other parts later in life. But, uh, you know, I guess how did you come to this? And I guess what what do you think of Deadly Reflection? The first time I read this issue, it was uh, as part of that trade. I think I mentioned on the... You know, when we discussed part one of the story that uh, I got part one at a flea market and several years later I was at the library and I noticed they had a small you know, section of trade trades for uh, comics. And I was like, oh, they've got Star Trek trades. And then I was like, wait, is this the and I started flipping through it. I was like, it is. This is the continuation of that story. You know, that one comic I bought years ago. So the first time I ever read this comic was as part of that collection. And um, I, I still have a lot of fondness for this story. I remember the first time I read it, like I was enthralled. I was like, man, this is so cool. Like we're going back to the mirror universe, and th- like they cram so much into it. Like you get to see the Klingons and Romulans, like what they're doing in the mirror universe, and yeah. like you said, we get to keep, we get to see uh, David, like you know what he's up to in this universe, and all that stuff. And it was so much fun. I always wished that they could have made this into a film like Mm. if you like if you could go back and like twist time somehow like if you you know if you're like i don't know the watcher or somebody you can and you can like look into an alternate timeline or something and just twist a little bit and make it go the way you want to like i would i would twist it so that this story is adapted into star trek 5 and you know shatner's not directing and they've got a like a really nice budget and they can just do all the cool stuff and it's like you know space battles and you know have multiple scenes where you've got all the doubles fighting and you know all that stuff like i the way i read this even to this day like i'm like man this would have been such a cool movie instead of like star trek 5 or you know even generations maybe but yeah it's I think it's one of those things where I have so much nostalgia for it. I, it's hard for me to say anything negative about it. Like there, I, like I have read better written books that take place in the year Mary universe and even some comics that have came out the last several years. Like, like they, they just keep exploring the Mary universe. And that's always, that's always something that has my attention. And, you know, some, some of those are technically better, in this comic but i still have so much love and affection for it it's it's hard for me to to turn that it's it's hard for me to turn those blinders off i guess yeah yeah no that's that's completely understandable i mean i i think that's why this has a lot of love that it does because i think it it, it must have been like one of the earliest 
you know, revisitings of of the mirror universe. I mean, at least in comic form. The, the, I think so. The, yeah. The, the I, you know, I enjoy the art. I think I think Tom Sutton does a good job of getting everybody's likeness on point. Like you, for the most part, you know who's supposed to be who. Mm-hmm. I think occasionally there, what the, the way they try to distinguish the mirror people from the the prime people i guess i'm gonna call them is by the colorist i think for the most part i mean yeah you can you can say they're paraphernalia you know they're they're uh their military embroidery and usually if you can see they have like a knife or an agonizer or something like that like that could be a telltale sign if the colors are kind of off but for the most part i think if you're trying to do a quick thing and go which kirk am i looking at which which um you know which uh uh, you know version is it the captain kirk or admiral kirk you know like that kind of thing you know, it usually, as long as it's bright red, you know that it's the good guys, and if it's maroon and dark red, it's the bad guys, which I think is kind of odd, because technically, like, all their outfits are kind of maroon, <laughs> like, in the, the actual film. Like, I think it's almost more accurate, the maroon coloring, than the bright comic book red, but I, it's a comic, I get it. And then, you know, the the other thing that I find kind of funny about that is, you know, then, you know, later when they switch roles, then, then it can become more confusing, because you're like, wait, Kirk is fighting Kirk, but he's in the... You know, he's he's in the mirror outfit disguised as the other Kirk and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, that that can be kind of, you know, it, it's a, a bit more complex than maybe, you know, somebody would give it credit for. For me, like, I, I do think, you know, and, and I'll try to leave some stuff out of it. I mean, there's some things, some references in here where they, they try to make comparisons to uh, modern modern i don't know if that's the right way to put it but they make modern day references from the era or or at least historical references from our universe and use them in comparison with the mirror universe that i'm not exactly a fan of so like some of that kind of stuff like kind of bothers me because I, I think it's kind of irrelevant, like, or at least it's it's definitely making judgments at any rate, which I don't think is necessarily needed. And then I think the other thing that I find kind of interesting is, and I'm, I'm curious how you'd respond to this, you know, as much as you wanted this to be your Star Trek V, like in your fantasy universe, like, I kind of feel like this suffers a little bit, like, and, and a lot of the comics in some ways suffer a little bit from that Star Trek V syndrome. And what I mean by that is the script, I think, for Star Trek V would have been fine if it was, and I've said this on the show, if it took place in 1968 or something. You know what I mean? With, with, with William Shatner at that age, with Uhura at that age, Uhura doing the fan dance in her prime in 1968 it would have worked just fine like like it would have been fine like her doing the fan dance at like 68 as an old granny doesn't work right like just just like you know kirk doing kung fu or whatever the hell it, it, it doesn't quite work and and i i mean there are elements of that in this where i feel like you know, I mean, you think people were like, you know, making fun of of uh, William Shatner for macking on Iman in in uh, 
Star Trek VI, well, I mean, I feel like either Marlena would have to be a little older, but it doesn't look like she's very much older. Like, they still kind of paint her as the captain's woman, and she's a, a, a good-looking woman, and she looks, you know, at least a good 10 to 15 years younger than, than Kirk here. And, and you know, they make this big deal in Rathacon, too, about, you know, space is a young man's game and all that kind of other stuff. And and then there's there's moments, too, like the, the, the one that specifically kind of... I don't know if it bothers me, but it's just, it's totally written like it would have been on the old television series, which is when he has that discussion with Styles, and basically he's like, he, he he's kind of saved them, and he's on board the Excelsior and everything, and he says, look, I found Marlena, we're, we're, we're all set, like, I'm in the command chair and everything, and Styles comes up and is like, this is nonsense, old man, I'm taking over my ship, don't order me around, and, and he, basically, he does this whole, like, easy, Styles, easy, no need to fly off the handle, and, like, punches him out, and it's yeah. just, like, one of those things where it's, like, I could totally see that, like, that reads excellently for like William Shatner like in the 60s TV series where he's like no need to fly off the handle you know and he nails him and he or he does the Kirk chop and then Styles like totally is like and like knocks out and everything and it's totally fine but like for some reason like this like the way the the verisimilitude of the Wrath of Khan I think saying look it's not a young man's game anymore, meaning, guess what? He can't do the Kirk Fu as well as he used to, right? Like, that's kind of how I read that. And it's like, it, some of this stuff, it's like, it's like these characters, this script, it didn't get the memo. You know, like, it didn't get the memo that he can't do the same Kirk Fu, because he's still doing it, right? So it's like, that that kind of stuff is the stuff where I, I look at it, and I'm like, I'm like, it's cool, I get it, but at the same time, it's kind of... Some of it, that's why I look at it now with, like, uh, maybe uh, a more uh, adult pair of eyes and kind of chuckle at those kind of moments. Or, like, the moment where, like, he he uh, fakes out the, the, the mirror guards by going, like, oh, look, it looks like he, you know, he's totally gonna shoot. Well, you better shoot him because he's the fake. And it's just like, wait, you fell for that? Like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, you know, like, it's like, it just seems so goofy where it's like, he's the fake. And he's like, all of a sudden he's shooting his own dude because Kirk said he was the fake and he's not even, like, the real Kirk. But you'd think they'd all, like, get the get the memo on that or something like that, but I guess they don't, so. But, I mean, you know, otherwise, I, I get what you're saying, like, the nostalgia, the fun, like, the fact that, you know, I mean, the Mirror Universe is always something fun to revisit. And it's like, it, I guess it's easy to say, like, a backseat driver thing, like, oh, I liked... You know, I don't know the Marvel Mirror Universe special better than this or something like that, and 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 you know people can either throw tomatoes or whatever, but you know it's like oh they had another ten years to you know mess around with it. You know, you know something else I'd like to discuss, like because you you said you have a tough time, you know, your nostalgia, like you you have an unabashed love for the storyline in general. Like, is this like? me digging, like, the, the Alien sequels in Dark Horse and saying, like, Alien 3 be damned, like, I don't care about that because I like what I was, you know, what I took to heart in this this comic sequel first. Like, di did you, I guess th this is kind of leading into something, but the, the question would be, in this, the, the notion is that even though Kirk sort of was able to get through to Spock in the Mirror Mirror episode... 
ultimately, he did not go through with, what's the right word, reforming the Empire, right? Like, it's, you know, the the whole Deep Space Nine version of it is clearly like, this this comic story could have never happened according to the Deep Space Nine version because the Deep Space Nine version takes Mirror Mirror as canon and that the inference that Spock reformed the Empire like was literally like Spock did reform the Empire and then it made it really easy for the the Klingon Dominion whatever the hell it was to to take over right like so then 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 you end up with Terran slaves and you know, all this kind of crazy mirror stuff on Deep Space Nine. But is is that something that you would have immediately rejected because you liked this story so much? Or, or like, do you, do you just kind of chalk it up to, I like this because of nostalgia, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really matter to me one way or the other which direction the mirror universe canon went in, I guess? I don't know. I know that's kind of like all over the place for a question, but do, do you know what I mean, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess it doesn't really matter. You know what I always liked about this whole volume of uh, Star Trek comics from DC is it does its own thing for a very long time. I mean, at the end of the story, like they get commanded the Excelsior and Spock gets his own ship. Yeah. Yeah. And then when Star Trek Four comes out, they got a course correct. It's like, oh, Spock's ship blew up <laughs> because Star Trek Four. We got to get him back on the Enterprise. I, I always kind of, I mean, it it it's one of those things where you can't really reconcile the from these comics in Star Trek Four, I mean, even though they try their best with the yeah, yeah, they're, they're, stuff well, stuff. they were they but were it, flying by the seat of their pants. They didn't, they yeah. they had no idea what what was coming next. They didn't have access to the script till a certain point, so they just started making up stories. And then when when they had to kind of put all the chess pieces back into place, they just went, oh, okay, now Spock's back on Vulcan again. You know, like that's yeah. But I, I always kind of appreciated that. I mean, some of those issues are not that great, but I mean, it just it just takes it and runs with it, man. I mean, and it's I think it's a fairly logical conclusion. It's like, okay, they blew up the Enterprise, but they got this brand new ship that they left behind. So it's like, okay, well, the, I remember reading some. I don't know if it was Starlog or something, but there, I, I think Harv Bennett actually wanted them. Uh-huh. the original crew to be on the Excelsior. And I think, I don't know if Roddenberry or someone else was like, no, you, you can't do that. Like, they got to be on the Enterprise, man. You can't do that. So maybe that was just a logical step. They're like, okay, you know, we'll we'll put these guys on the Excelsior and then whatever the next movie is, like, we'll just course correct and put everything, like, back in the box. And they probably had no idea it was going to involve boils and time travel and all that stuff. Well, but, I mean, yeah. you know, the the thing for me that that I think just blows it all out of the water is, I mean, it, you know, to me, the 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 search for Spock and the voyage home. I mean, literally, they they take place. It seems like back to back. You know, like yeah. I mean, there mm-hmm. there might be some wiggle room in between the end of Wrath of Khan two and the search for Spock, right? Like to to tell other stories, but. The, the way it's painted in, in the voyage home is that, you know, oh, well, this is, it, it, they land on Vulcan, they drop them off on Vulcan, and when Star Trek Four starts, they're still on fucking Vulcan. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, it's it's kind of insane, like, where, you know, you're like, oh, well, they had all these adventures, they did all this stuff, and then they did a big jig dance, and they, they turned around and threw salt over their shoulder to scare away the theater demons. And <laughs> now they're, they're, they're back and they're back on Vulcan and everything's just the way we left it. Even though it's kind of crazy that we had 50 billion adventures in between <laughs> the end of three and the beginning of four, because that 
isn't how they paint it whatsoever at all, but it's there's no way anyone could have known that it was going to, you know, immediately take place after that dur- during the time frame that that these comics were written. So, you know, it's it's one of those crazy things where, you know, th- th- there's a sense of I think what is it? Uh, maybe reexamination or, or, or reevaluated appreciation for for the work that goes into something like this. You know, whether it's like Marvel Star Wars or or these DC Star Trek comics. That the idea that, like you were saying, they they took the ball and and ran with it. I mean, there there's definitely something. You know, there, there's definitely enough to be impressed with just just because they did that. You know, like so. I I, I get it completely. It's just to me, it's fascinating because you you. You, you always want to reconcile things or figure things out. And, you know, there, there's those things that, you know, it, it, it's not quite early installment weirdness, but I guess you'd call it, you know, I don't know, uh, mid-movie weirdness or mid, you know, or, or like post, yeah. post, you know, post, uh, you know, TV weirdness where the, the TV tropes somehow find their way into these comic stories, but that they haven't quite caught up to the movie tropes yet, you know, type thing. So, you know, all that stuff's kind of interesting. I mean, I I imagine if, if, uh, you know, because to me, like, it's like, I think, I think if this was, you know, an episode of like, say Enterprise, the thing that got me all into the mirror universe was seeing, you know, Hoshi and, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jolene Baylock running around and all the, the mirror, Midriffs and all that other stuff, and then you know you think like besides Marlene, you know one one of the things Marlena, one of the things that would be, you know, fun to see is oh cool like Savick's in one of those you know mirror universe numbers mm-hmm. or whatever, and that's kind of cool you know and stuff like that. But it's like it, it's almost funny because that's one of those few things where you're like, well, it's not quite Kirstie Alley and it's not quite Robin um, what's her face, Curtis. you know, yeah, it's not quite Robin Curtis. You know, and it's like it's kind of their own sexy version of Savic. You know, that's kind of an amalgamation between the two, almost. So it's like you're like, oh, okay, you know, like that. That's it is what it is, you know, type thing. But um, you know, yeah, I mean, I mean, some of this stuff I think is funny. I mean, I, you know, they 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 certainly they certainly do a lot of uh, you know, what what do they call it? Like the organ grinding monkey doing backflips and working for their popcorn or whatever it is, their nuts and stuff, the dates. Like, I mean, you know, and, and this is not it's not meant to be an insult. I'm not like, oh Mike Barr, you know, hop like an organ monkey or whatever. But like I mean he certainly but I guess what I'm saying is he, you know, they, they certainly worked to to do those tricks for us. You know what I mean? Like so it's not like it's not like they were just sitting there phoning it in. Like this was this was all like a lot of fun stuff that, you know, yeah, it's it's hard to reconcile, but I, I don't think it was ever they they tried, you know, like like they tried to do it what they, they tried to serve uh, multiple masters and and somehow they they skirted that line as much as they could, you know, and, and, you know, sometimes maybe you could point and, and kind of be a backseat driver and go, Oh, look, they fell off. But you know what? They were, uh, to me, they're still kind of surfing away, you know? So that, that, that kind of stuff I think is always fun. So, uh, Michael, do you, do you have any comics for us today? Okay. I guess not. So what about you, Justin? Why don't you, why don't you go into the, the Star Trek comic that, uh, you brought? I brought Star Trek Volume 2, number 61. This has a cover date of July 1994. It's sold for a whopping 195. Our story is Door in the Cage by Stephen H. Wilson and illustrated by Ron Wiggle. I um, 
I wrote the synopsis when I was like really tired and half asleep, so if it sucks, you know, blame me. <laughs> um, Spock returns to Telos Four, seeking his former captain, Christopher Pike. He meets a young boy, Philip, along with Pike and Vina. The boy is their son. Spock eventually tells Pike that they can place his brain in a cloned body, and that is the reason for his visit. Later that night, Spock contemplates the situation. He believes the boy to be an illusion created by Pike. Perhaps even Pike is a Telosian illusion. Spock is later confronted by illusions, Alamatya, Klingons, and even his former shipmate, Number One. Pike tells Spock he is not wanted here. Only for Spock to see the truth, Philip is real and he is trying to make Spock leave. Pike, the real Captain Pike, tells Spock how he learned of the Talosians' history, reactivated their servant robots, and discovered medical knowledge allowing Bina to give birth to their child. Pike tells Spock his place is with his family on Telos, where he is needed, and he is staying on Telos. And that is number 61. And I bought this off the stand of a Dalton Books. Uh, that was where I was Ooh, getting this book. <laughs> the the late uh, lamented Dalton Books. I was getting this uh, series from Dalton's month to month. But I remember like going in, and Dalton's was always my first stop. I would stop into Dalton's, get comics. And then right next door to Dalton's was KB Toys, and I would always hit up KB Toys. But I remember running in, looking at the stand, and seeing this cover. And at the very top of the cover, I mean, it says Return to Talos. And, like, that got me excited, mm. like, super excited. I mean, I was going to buy this anyway, like I said. But just seeing Return to Talos, and you got number one, and you got a Talosian, like, in a silhouette there. I was just like, ooh, Talos? Like, holy cow, like, they're going back. Like, man, this is going to be great. Like, I've, I've always been fascinated by... The cage and also the menagerie and the whole, you know, like that was the first pilot and they repurposed it and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And anytime Pike was mentioned in a comic or a novel or something, you know, that always grabbed my attention. I always kind of wondered, I was like, okay, so Spock, you know, they just drop off Pike and let him be, you know, the last time you see him, it's, it's that illusion of he's holding Vina's hand and they're just kind of walking around. And I always thought, well, Okay, that that would definitely be a better life for him. Like he's, you know, he's at, he he's confined to this wheelchair. He can't speak or anything, you know. But at least he can like do stuff in his mind, which is certainly a better life. And I, I would I remember always wondering like, well, I wonder what happened to Pike. Like, could they like have a kid? Like, did you know did the Telosians like experiment on them anyway? Yeah. Or you know, like I always wondered. So like this. This comic pretty much answers that question, and I remember thinking like, "Oh wow, like that you know they had they actually had a kid." I was like, "Well, wait, he's trapped in that wheelchair thing," and then it's like, "Oh well, you know he they did some DNA resequencing or whatever," and I guess it's like uh you know what is it uh uh in vitro fertilization in the 23rd century or so? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and they even kind of quote what she says like in the cage. She's like you know, everything works. And I was like, yeah, she did say everything works. And I was like, you never would have thought when she says everything works, you never think like, you know, reproductive <laughs> systems and stuff. Hey, I was like, it okay. counts. Yeah. Yeah. It, I'm like, oh, that's canon. So that counts. Everything <laughs> works. She had the baby. So, uh, I'm curious, had you ever read this before? Uh, I probably read, you know, like I remember when I was trying to do that, like top, 
Star Trek original series list. I remember mm-hmm. doing a big read through of all the issues. So that's probably when I read this, but it's like, even that, like, it's crazy. Like that, this is why I feel old. I'm like, when I wrote that, it was probably like, I don't know, nine or 10 years ago. You know what I mean? So like, holy crap. Like to me, that <laughs> seems like, like, you know, recent or something, but it's, it's, it's been so long. So it's like, it's almost like, it's like one of those things where, you know how like there's, there's, there's Spinnerack comics and then you, you remember them and then maybe you, you don't read them for 20 years and then you revisit them. And it's like, this is not quite that. Like this was part of like some read through where it was probably, it's weird when you do those reading projects, it's like, though, those can be way more fleeting than, you know, something you read from your childhood because you, you know, basically you spent your hard earned money on it and, and you, Mm -hmm. you, uh, you know, usually, I mean, at least for me, I mean, you know, I, I read like, you know, things like death in the family or dark Knight returns or, you know, star Trek 11 or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever spinner rack comics we discussed, you know, it's like, it's like, I, I read those over and over and over again. So, you know, it's like some of those, you, you know, they became committed to memory right they were they were you know the continuity of those was burned into the you know time is the fire in which we burn you know into your brain and all that shit right (laughs) and um but this was a little more like oh cool pike you know and i i remember reading it but like it was like i sort of forgot the details of the story and then i went back and reread them and i was trying to remember oh how does this tie in like can this tie in with um with the Marvel version of Pike. And I'm like, Oh, well, technically he doesn't, I don't know. You, you, he could have a kid, you know, like, but you know, like this could have happened because Pike is technically still alive. Right. Like in this story, whereas I guess in the Marvel thing, by the time that happens, it's so far into the future. Like it's just an illusion of Pike, but not the actual Pike. So, for all you know, all, all this stuff could have happened still, you know, like it could, it could still all be canon one way or the other. But yeah, like you, I, I love Pike. I was always fascinated with the cage. I remember when it was like this huge deal when that, that, when they, oh, when they aired, aired it? the pilot, like it was yeah. this huge, huge giant deal. And I, re- I, I remember, I think I, 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 I probably like taped that onto a VHS tape and, and, and burnt that tape, you know, watch that over and over and over again mm-hmm. and all that stuff. But now I want to take you back to a time when the Enterprise and Spock and Kirk and all the rest were just part of an idea I had. Back to the beginnings of Star Trek. To the first Star Trek pilot, a pilot being a film that is meant to demonstrate to a network what a new series will look like each week and some regard it as perhaps as exciting as any Star Trek that's since been filmed. When the network saw what you soon will see, they rejected it. From that day until now, the first pilot has never been seen in its original form. So I I, I liked Pike, and, you know, I thought it was cool in the Playmates line when they had those original series characters, you know, and you had, like, Mm -hmm. you know, Spock in his cage outfit and pike and the telosian and the you know uh vena as the orion slave girl and all that you know that that stuff i thought was all great so you know again revisiting this is interesting um i i think you know the the art again like it does a really good job you know it's like it's like those those i i think those are like the the unsung heroes you know like like it's not 
I don't know. For me, I'm like, I, it's never been easy for me to capture likenesses of people. You know, and some people maybe are way more talented at it than others. You know, like some people, maybe it's very easy for them or what have you. But I, I always looked at that as something that was very challenging. So when when I think somebody does it on a monthly basis, like like Jerome K. Moore or, or, or Tom Sutton did, you know, like, like you know, I... I tend to have a lot of respect for that because you're like hey you know like this is something that they they had to do often and 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 were usually um fairly consistent with as far as the main cast and whatever speaking of that though i guess one of the things i was wondering is do you think i mean i because i know we don't know all the details but i imagine you know like be, because the the main cast was embroiled in all those movies and everything, they had certain arrangements where it's like, oh, you can use the quote unquote likeness of William Shatner in this DC comic, and they're not gonna, you know, William Shatner's camp is not gonna come after you for such and such. But it's like it's interesting how you know we had this discussion about how Savick was not quite, you know, uh, Kirstie Alley and not quite Robin Curtis, you know, so you wonder, did they have the same arrangement with them? D does does Carol Marcus look like B.B. Beach on certain painted covers? Yes. Does she not look 100% like B.B. Beach in all the, the comic tie-ins? Like, yes. You know, and I guess where this is leading is... You know, do you think it looks like Jeffrey Hunter? Like, does does it like? Because part of me was looking at it, and I was kind of like, I'm not sure if they had an arrangement with Jeffrey Hunter's like estate to do that. But then part of me was looking at it again and going like, well, I mean, I was trying to think of it like, oh, this is you know, kind of like when he was Jesus and King of Kings, you know, like like he's got a beard and like I could kind of see that being Jeffrey Hunter, maybe you know, like so it, it it's interesting. Like it's I I was going back and forth on it. I I wasn't sure if they were not allowed to do it and he he did a version of him or or if that was his version of of jeffrey hunter older it it looks really really close the thing i was looking at i was like okay you see number one for like what what three panels yeah i, I was looking at that and i'm like is that i mean it, it kind of looks like Majel. Mm -hmm. i mean it's enough to get the point across so i yeah. was kind of wondering about that yeah i mean and even even the cover too has her on the cover right so she doesn't look like Majel on the cover mm. i i don't know if that's just artistic license or they couldn't use her on the cover mm. maybe i don't know I, I i often wonder how these deals work where it's like okay you can use Majel in the comic but you can't user on your cover right, because it would cost right. more i i don't know i don't know how these deals work with actors and such, yeah but. yeah i don't i mean i i feel like in 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 the era that this was published and the era that my comic was published it was a lot more complicated like the only the only real like details i can think of is is you know the the thing that i remember most distinctly was sigourney weaver because i i remember Initially, that's why a lot of those Dark Horse Alien miniseries did not focus on Ripley, because they didn't have the rights to use Sigourney Weaver's likeness. Or if they did use it, it would cost them through the nose, and the the, the, the profit they would make from the comic would not... You know, the, the, it was a, it, it's not necessarily like Sigourney Weaver's a big, bad, evil person and won't let them do it, but it was like, yes, you can do this for X amount of money. And X amount of money was greater than any profit they would have made from the comic, you know? So then it was like, a, well, I guess we're not doing that then. And then if you, if you follow those miniseries all the way until Sam Keith did Earth War, 
again, it it was it was something very similar, but it turned. I guess the way they worked it out was okay. You can have Ripley in the story, but it can't look like Sigourney Weaver. And so, of course, I guess Sam Keith maybe was perfect for that. Like he, he gave the the feel of Ripley without it looking like Sigourney Weaver, you know, like, so, and that, that's a specific instance where I remember that in detail, which is why I bring it up in these instances. Cause, cause you'd imagine, I mean, at least with, with Kirk, Spock, McCoy, you know, Uhura, Sulu, you know, Chekhov, you know, Scotty, like you'd, you'd assume that was a done deal. Like they somehow had that worked into whatever yeah. contracts they had maybe, but you, you'd think with somebody like Jeffrey Hunter, that that's, that's a little more open, right? I, I would think that's not so, so much of a sealed deal. And, and even like you're saying with Majel Barrett, you know, that probably you're right. Like that's probably not such a sealed deal. I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's also in the eye of the beholder, right? Like for you, the, the interior panels where the Klingon morphs into number one, like, you know, you think that looks more like Majel. And, and for me, maybe I look at the cover and kind of go, oh, I, I can see that. I mean, it's, it's, it's enough that I can tell who it's supposed to be. So maybe I, I'm, I'm a little more lenient. Whereas, you know, what, what's interesting though is, is cage Spock and I guess current day, you know, Spock, like even, even, uh, the guy who played, uh, Pike in the in the, the wheelchair, the, the wheelchair. Yeah. like some of those. I mean, that's like fucking spot on, right? Like, yeah, uh, you know, that's mm-hmm. that's for sure, right? Like, whereas some of the other stuff, like you said, it's 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 questionable. It's it, you know, it's 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 kind of like, oh, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. Uh, you know, like like even the flashbacks is a little kind of generic. So I was gonna say, you know, yeah. like the flashbacks look more like like uh, the guy they got to play him in the wheelchair than Jeffrey Hunter. You know, it's funny, like uh, earlier this week, my uncle was asking me, he was like, why didn't Jeffrey Hunter like continue with Star Trek? And I was kind of explaining, I was like, dude, I think, you know, his wife was like, Jeffrey's too big for your mm. shitty TV show or something like that. She probably didn't say shitty, but you know, she thought, she thought of Jeffrey as this big movie star well, and he was and, and, above science fiction. And, and that's that. I mean, I'm telling you, and I always say this all the time, but I'm telling you, people forget because because we've got all these you know film budgeted TV show novels that are on streaming today and all this other bullshit. These these novels that are put on TV, but you you know it, it's easy to forget, man. There, uh, it's like I always say, film was higher than TV. Yeah. You know, TV drama was higher than comedy. Comedy was higher than Saturday morning cartoons. Saturday morning cartoons was higher than comics, you know, and down and down and down. And if you said, oh, I write, what do you write? Comics? You'd get fucking laughed at if you were talking to a film star, you know? So, I I mean, you know, whether she's an, you know, uh, uh, a you know, demanding evil woman's or whatever, or she was just looking out for, you know, her husband's career or whatever. But I mean, I I think that stigma was super real, especially, especially back then. Like, like, I mean, I, I I think it was real in the eighties and the nineties and all that stuff. And even, even up into the two thousands, you know, only maybe in the, 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 the late aughts or the, you know, the, the 2010s, you know, like now, like maybe that's, that's some of those walls have been shattered a bit, but I, I think that's always been a thing. And and back in the sixties, I think that would have been for real. Like, like, you know, Jeffrey Hunter, he played fucking Jesus Christ. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, he was, he was a, 
like a film star. Like so so I mean I I get it. Like that I think that was very real back then. Yeah, I mean that that always makes me think of like uh you know Joan Crawford making fun of Betty Davis for doing several episodes of like Perry yeah, Mason. Yeah. You know, it's like here here Betty Davis, you know, a former like highly you know, high-profile movie star. Yeah, but see, th- and she's doing several episodes of like Perry Mason. But, but to them, she was slumming it. She, yeah, she exactly. was a has-been, uh-huh. and all she could mm-hmm. get was TV, right? Yep. Like, and that's that. That was very real, and it's like that. That's why I think his wife was like that. You know, where she was like, "Yeah, he's too good for this." You know, like like he he's a film star. Like it's not it's not your little TV thing or whatever, you know, like, and it's like, and, and again, that sucks. It's not, you know, I mean, you know, everybody knows us. Like, we're not saying the cage is a little TV thing or Star Trek's a little, like, that's not what we're saying. But yeah, I'm just saying, I understand, especially with the stigma, the way it was that, that point of view and that, that, that she was just trying to look out for, for her husband, I think, you know, so. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, and then again, like, like you said, this is, and you, you did a good job. I mean, this is, this is definitely a a fun done in one, you know what I mean? Like there's not, you you don't, it's not part of a 15 part fucking epic story or whatever, (laughs) you know, like, like this is, this is a good thing. It's, it's got, it's got an, if you're a fan of the cage of, of the menagerie of the original series, it's got a, it's got a very cool hook that hooks right on the cover. You know, it, it makes you curious. You want to find out, you know, what the hell's going on and everything and stuff. And, and I think, I think it tells a, a, a cool little story, you know, they, they, they throw in some wrinkles to it and everything. And, you know, and ultimately, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really change too much, but you get to learn a little bit more than you, than you did before if you had some questions about, you know, what his ultimate fate was. I mean, the only the only thing that I'd say that, that weirds me out about these kind of things is, like, the Talosians have illusions, but I, I've always been kind of... I've always kind of wondered, like, in, in some cases, especially in comics, they seem to treat the illusions as being able to do real things. And it's like... I always kind of think when I look at the cage and the menagerie, it's like, okay, he shoots the plexiglass prison wall Mm -hmm. and it looks like nothing's happened to it. But in reality, it 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 did. did. And if he had shot him in the head and his head turned into bluey juice, it would have turned (laughs) into bluey juice. Right. Like, like even, even if there were like 15 other Talosians there making it look like he was invulnerable, the reality would be that the you know the the little old lady who was dressed up as a Talosian, her head would have been blown open, right? And and so it, what it it always weirds me out is like okay, even though I love that Marvel Comics story, it's like it kind of weirds me out. Like wait, so an illusion of Pike helped the cadets, but I'm like, how does the illusion of Pike beat up Jem Hadar? Like it's an illusion, <laughs> right? Like how does it shoot phasers and do Kirk Fu and all this other shit on the Jem Hadar if it's an illusion? And the the other thing that I'll apply to this is, and and maybe it's the magnitude of the illusion, but like, okay, if Pike is Pike and he's in the beepy beep chair, right? He can't be laying in bed. Well, not not just that. Like that that's a good physical example of it. But to me, what I was thinking of is you notice 
the 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 rugged outdoorsman, you know, kind of uh, I don't know Scott Bakula Pike or whatever we're gonna call him, like like this guy in the woods that's <laughs> uh-huh. like chopping wood and 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 looking all debonair and stuff like that. Like, okay, it's one thing to say, okay, in vitro, you know, uh, conception and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's science, right? Okay, fine. Like, but. He has conversations with people. And, like, you know what cracks me up is, and this is very real, is when he he dispels the illusion in front of Spock, he talks to Spock. He doesn't beep. So I'm like, how... Is that another illusion? You know, like, is that a a layer of illusion within the illusion? It's like, I I don't want to beep to you, but I I will show you what I look like, but not enough so that I have to fucking beep and bloop to you. Like, so, so it's like, then, then I could still have a conversation with you, you know? So it's like that, that, that kind of stuff I think is interesting. You know, it's like, it's like, we know it's not real that he's talking cause he has to be beeping. Right. But yet he is talking to Spock, you know? And then, you know, of course, you know, like I said, you know, the, the, the Marvel comic stuff where, you know, he's, he's fighting with Jim Hadar and stuff. And you're like, well, how does he do that exactly? Or like you said, how does he, how does he sleep in a bed if he's on, you know, if, if he's on uh the, the rolly wheels and all that stuff, you know, like, I don't know, you know, it's, it, it's just the illusion of sleeping in the bed. He's really just parked next to the bed. You know, like, I don't know. He needs to get like a hover conversion done on that thing. So he can zip around like yeah. a flying dog or something. Like... <laughs> he, he floats up the stairs and shit. Does the Dalek thing. Yeah. Well, I guess I, I don't, I don't know. I, I think I prefer uh one beep and two beeps to, uh, Exterminate. You don't want to hear like five no. Daleks having a no, conversation no, no. at once? No. What? We are talking to you. Of course. Yeah. Exactly. This conversation is irrelevant. Maximum extermination. Exterminate. Was that, um,. Beast that he made supposed to be out of any particular Star Trek lore. It's from the oh, animated okay, series. Got it. He uh, he granted his likeness right nice, here to the nice. comic. He's like, rawr, it's okay, it's okay, I could get it. <laughs> yeah, no. So this is this is fun. I mean, it, it, you know, it's 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 a. Uh, I think both of them were fun issues and everything. Um, I I like you know it's it's like one of those things where I mean it, you know it's always fun to to discuss these and talk about them and everything. I mean, I think they were well-produced comics. I think, I think that like, again, the thing that always scared me away from the volume two was this prestige, you know, buck 95 comic book as opposed to the 75 yeah. cents. Cause I feel like, I feel like I bought more of the, the volume one comics than I ever did the prestige ones. Like it, it would have to be a cover like this or have to be something that was like, super intrigued me to get me to spend the 195 295 like whatever it ended up being you know towards the end of the run you know like when it was you know i I remember those carol marcus issues you know towards the end of uh of the run and those Mm -hmm. being like expensive but going hey this looks super cool so i'm gonna i'm gonna buy it whereas if it was just kind of a run-of-the-mill like you know oh look uh dr mccoy uh farted on uh, a planet or something. I was just like, eh, you know, I, I don't need to pay one ninety five for that. No. <laughs> well, I guess um, if anybody has any comments, questions, and or concerns, uh, if, you, if you think we're illusions and we should be beeping and blooping at you as well, uh, you can send <laughs> us an email at fanholspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, one beep for yes, two beeps for no. <laughs> we're 
Well, the backlog of our episodes can be found <laughs> over on the fanholspodcast.blogspot.com. We are on all kinds of social media. We're on Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We appreciate all the likes, hearts, shares, and retweets that we receive. We are also streamable. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher Radio. So you can stream us there if you prefer. And until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, uh, fading away and looking all woodsy men or whatever, signing off. And this is Justin. Live long and prosper. first age before beauty (laughs) (laughs) in your head you're like razz and frazzes no no i was just like big dicks before little you know good stuff (laughs) (laughs) um all right Uh, so let's do it all right razz and (laughs) frazzes